Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know if you, I mean, you know, there's sort of a number of images happening right there. You got this cloud, you got the, uh, you got this uh, weight that, it, that we need to throw off and these sin that entangles and then we're running a race and we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. But it's not really as much of a hodgepodge of images as it sounds. At least that's, that's the case I'm going to hopefully make. First of all, it does appear as though the writer of Hebrews has witnessed an actual race because these are the days before spandex. In those days, your birthday suit was also your track suit. Uh, track, because trying to run in your walking about clothes would be a disaster. They'd weigh you down, so that's the weight you throw off, and they would tangle you up. So if you're gonna run, you gotta get rid of that stuff. But then yeah, there's, what is the relationship between this race and the, this great cloud. The, uh, it, that relationship is not as clear. You might even call it partly cloudy. Uh, but some have argued that the cloud of witnesses are like spectators. They are witnesses to you and your race. The saints who have gone before us now occupy the bleachers and cheer us on. And certainly that is an interpretation in keeping with the idea of race. And it's not necessarily wrong. However, it is an interpretation that gives too little attention to the word that begins our reading. The word, therefore. And uh, I don't know, when I was taught to, uh, about how to lead a Bible study, there's always a question that you're supposed to ask when a passage starts with therefore. Anybody? What's you know the question you're supposed to ask? What's the therefore there for? Yeah, see? All right, so now we're going to ask that question. What's the therefore there for? Well, in this case, it's there because at the beginning of the previous chapter, we get this, remember, we get this definition of, of faith. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for, a confidence in what we don't see. And to prove that this, this definition of faith, the preacher of Hebrews walk, gives us this sort of walking tour of the scriptures showing this definition being played out over and over again in the various characters. Each successive character illustrating this definition. Each demonstrated an, an, an assurance of what they hoped for even when they die without having obtained it even as it remained unseen, their faith lived on. They were driven by a desire to see a world made new, a world so radiant 
with divine glory that no one needs to be instructed to know the Lord. A world in which people know the goodness and power of God's presence in the way we sort of know the presence of air. We simply breathe it in. And in the same way, we convert air into fuel that moves our bodies. In this, in this new world, the divine presence will be sort of taken in and converted into faithful action. To use the prophet's words, the law will be written on our hearts and minds. So this cloud. Anyway, it made me think about Friday morning. I'm assuming that was the case here too. Do you have that crazy fog? Uh, I mean, it was so thick that buildings that were just like a block away were totally, uh, had totally vanished. It was as though somebody had erased them and all you could see was the blank page beneath. But then of course, as you approach, you know, they come back into view. And the reason for that, of course, is because the droplets of moisture that are sort of hanging in the air, I mean, the, the closer you got, the fewer of those there are between you and whatever you're looking at. And so it's not obs uh, obscured as much by that fog. But if you're further away, the more you see fog and not the thing. Well, the various characters that the preacher has referred to by name and the many others that go unnamed are like individual water droplets. In isolation, their lives may look rather meaningless. They just look like people who long for a world that they may have only glimpsed, but never lived fully within. In isolation, their lives are sort of tragic. But here, in this telling, they are linked by this shared faith, the shared hope. And when you link them all together, it's sort of like standing back and suddenly these individual lives form something greater. They become a cloud, a cloud of witnesses. And unlike Friday's fog, this is not a cloud that hides reality, that makes us unable to see what's there. On the contrary, it's a cloud that exposes the unseen. You know, here the preacher seems to be referencing back to the cloud in Exodus, right? Um, the, the glory cloud that reveals God's presence. You know, in that story, you have the pillar of cloud that leads Israel by day and the pillow, pillar of fire that leads them by night. So this cloud leads Israel through the wilderness toward the promised land. And, these, and now we have a cloud these cloud witnesses that are that are offering a similar sort of guidance, a guidance that to follow uh, to follow toward the unseen reality that we hope to achieve. Now, it's worth asking: uh, Who are those people that do that for you? Who are, who compose your cloud of witnesses? Whose lives bear witness? To that hope. When you find yourself in wilderness, who are the people that you turn to? Whose lives uh, give, you, uh, give you inspiration and strength to keep going? You know, when I needed, realized we were going to need more photos uh, and that we happen to have a bunch of frames that I could use, I had an opportunity to ask myself that question. Um, and it is indeed a cloud. 
made up of friends, family members, and a whole range of others as well. And certainly there are a number of those uh, members of the, my, this cloud of witnesses that uh, share our common profession of faith. Got some Baptists up there, Martin Luther King, uh, where is Coretta is over there. Uh, you have, um, oh, uh, Billy Graham and Johnny Cash, some Baptists, right? But do we not only just Baptists, we've got a bunch of Catholics. Uh, let's see, Mother Teresa, uh, Cesar Chavez, Dorothy Day, you know, brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, there's even a, pre well, there was a Presbyterian, but he kept falling off, Mr. Rogers. Uh, so we range of people within the family of faith. But then, you know, for me, I think it's important that we also recognize that, th that even those who walked away, my man, James Baldwin, he, he grew up Pentecostal, was actually a preacher as a kid, but, you know, ultimately he, he had to walk away from the faith. But at the same time, uh, given his history, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. He had, a, he had a remarkable ability to give expression to the longing for the world that we are looking for. A world made right. A world made whole. And his courage, his lack of bitterness, even when he was angry, demonstrates what it looks like to live in, with hope in a broken world. Now, none of these people are worthy of occupying the wall all by themselves. Each has their flaws. I mean, each is so mortal. But together, they bear witness. They compose part of the cloud that gives my life and the life of so many others direction. You know, my friend Steve Everett, it's right there. He's up there. He's, uh, he was smart and funny and kind, um, but mortal. You know, he played basketball with his colleagues at uh, Malone College, came back to his op office, collapsed and died. Um, you know, I was in my mid-twenties. His death was a revelation to me. This is going to keep happening. I remember when we, this group gathered at ch church to pray. So this is going to keep happening. People I love are going to keep dying. And that is true. This cloud, it can show us the way, but it can't take us there. They can bear witness to the hope. They can testify to a reality that remains unseen but they are so much like us. They are mortal. But they do not allow that mortality to keep them from testifying to hope. There's that scene in Dead Poet Society. Remember the movie? Rob Williams plays this English teacher at an all-boys prep school, probably in the 50s. He invites his English class out into the hall to, to look at the trophy case. And there, in addition to the trophies and pennants, are these old team photos. Peruse the faces from the past, he says. You've walked by them many times. I don't know that you've ever really looked at them. 
They are like you, full of hope. The world is their oyster. The difference is that they are now dead. But, he says, if you listen close, real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. The students sort of look at each other rather curiously. But he says, go ahead, lean in. So they, they lean in toward the pictures. And then he says, Seize the day, boys. Seize the day. That's what they whisper. That's the legacy. And so when we compose our clouds of witnesses, when we think about their, them, they whisper to us. And what they whisper is, run. Run the race. Persevere. Run. Not because we're afraid not because we're fleeing death. We're not running from anything. The preacher says that we are running towards something. And interestingly, the preacher does not say that we're running toward the cloud because the cloud, again, is full of mortals. It's, it's what the clouds, the cloud of witnesses bears witness to, what they're pointing us to. You know, the, the cloud of witness, uh, the cloud in, the, in, the, in Exodus, it only... It was, it was a representation of that divine presence, right? It's, it's a place where the, the, the unseen reality and reality we know intersect. Well, where does that happen most fully? Where do we see that intersection most fully? Well, we see it in Jesus. And so we run keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. People have composed their cloud that can give us a glimpse of this unseen reality. But when taken together, they're all always pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is for us where that unseen reality and visible reality intersect. He is the divine presence among us. You know, as mortals, they can, these, you know, the cloud of witnesses can only bring us so far. He is the one that can bring that reality fully. Now, our translation says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. I like the word that the NRSV uses there, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I mean, pioneer, that's a great American word, right? We, lo we love that. We love pioneers. We love stories of these pioneering types. You know, these stories where other people see danger, other people see struggle. Pioneers, they see opportunity. And that is, in fact, Jesus' own story. Except in, in, in Jesus' case, it's not, it's not a pioneer who goes into uncharted territory, but it's a, it's, this is a pioneer who sees an, un, an opportunity to bring an unseen reality into this world. Unseen, except for these occasional glimpses in this life, that life. Here, it's not just a fleeting moment. It has made a permanent reality. I mean, the thing we long for becomes secured through Christ. I mean, have you ever felt like you've had an encounter with some, something greater than this world? 
That unseen reality, has it somehow broken into your world? How would you know if it had? These verses offer a clue as to what that looks like. What it looks like when those things intersect. And it just so happens that our candle this morning references what that looks like. It's joy. When we experience joy, we are getting a glimpse. That unseen reality is not so much seen as it is felt. And joy is more than amusement. Joy is even more than happiness. To experience joy is to feel fully alive. And we feel that occasionally. We get a glimpse of that occasionally. That night in the stable in Bethlehem, Mary gives birth to a pioneer for joy. The divine word has ventured into from the unseen realm of glory into this realm of heartbreak and violence. He has come again to plant a flag for that realm here to bring joy to the world. He's a pioneer for joy. The story of that night in Bethlehem is, is itself sort of a glimpse of that. I mean, that's why we love that story. You might have little interest in anything else that has to do with the faith, but man, you still find your heart warmed by that story. I mean, after all, it's a story of a baby being born. And who doesn't love babies? Besides Tom Hanks. That's a reference to last week's sermon. If you weren't there, sorry. But that joyful story is only the beginning. Because Jesus' story does take this sort of troubling, troubling turn. It is clear that to, to Jesus, and it's eventually clear to everyone else, that this story is moving into some dangerous territory. You know, the rest of us look overlook that hellscape and would say, look, all right, look, we're going to stay here. We're going no further. But not Jesus. Not, not, the, not the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus breaks camp and heads straight for that looming darkness. And he does so as a pioneer for joy. It looks very different from the story that we celebrate at Christmas. But that's not how Jesus sees it. It's still about joy. About bringing joy. As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. As our preacher puts it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Those glimpses of joy we catch from the people who loved us and whose lives we admire, those are on full display. That joy is on full display in Jesus Christ. Their, witness, their lives witness to the possibility of joy. His life secures it and makes it an inevitability because he went into that looming darkness and brought joy. To experience joy is to know what you are created for. But to seek joy it requires having to experience a lot of heartbreak in the process. After all, there is so much anti-joy in the world. So it's, it's hard not to live in fear. It's hard not to grow cynical, to 
stop believing in the possibility to bumble along under unnecessary burdens and entangled in our sin rather than expose ourselves to the possibility of having our hearts broken. But to do this requires us to ignore that great cloud of witnesses. Those whose lives give us a glimpse of that unseen reality breaking into this reality. They surround us. And if we're willing to look, if we're willing to listen, they're telling us, seek joy. Throw off the dead weight. Disentangle yourself and run. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.